Welcome to Oil and Gas Conversations. I'm your host, Adriel Kunle Hassan. Lack of constant power supply is one of Nigeria's major challenges. This year, Nigeria overtook Congo to become the worst country globally when comparing access to electricity. The challenges surrounding Nigerians' current power situation are complex, but in this episode, we will uncover some of the many layers of the problem and the possible paths to resolving the issues. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Oil and Gas Conversations. With me today is Osato. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for having me here, Adrian. Yes, like you said, my name is Osato. I am the co-founder and CEO of Energy Insights. Um, it's a tech company dedicated to solving the problem of low quality information and low accessibility to information on Nigeria's energy sector. You know, we, we work on everything from power to oil and gas to renewable, just to try to bring that information um, out to people. There's just information in that sector that's hidden. Um, our goal is to showcase that. Before Energy, I worked, I worked in the energy sector for about five years, basically consulting for energy companies and analyzing the sector. So this episode today is actually inspired by m- multiple articles that Osato wrote about the Nigerian electricity situation and power sector. And I wanted him on the podcast to basically give us this information. We all know knowledge is power. And if we don't have Mm -hmm. these data, how would we know what the challenges really are and how can we come in to solve them? So I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. And and the data problem we spoke about is huge. I was talking to a huge industry player and he said that, you know, we talk about how certain communities in Nigeria need electricity, but we don't even know how much electricity they need. We don't know what appliances they need. We're literally building power generation plants for them in hope that this is what they need. So that just goes to show you the scale of the low information and low data problem we have in the country. We are excited, um, excited to be here. Can you break down what the current Nigerians' power situation is? Because I know a little bit of statistics. I know, like, maybe in Lagos, most people get maybe, you know, 9 to 12 hours on a good day. In Abuja, mm-hmm. it's about similar. But in, like, the north, I heard that there are some places that they haven't even had power for two years. So what is the current yeah. Nigerian power situation? Well, in one word, bad. <laughs> right? Um, and, I mean, and you know, all over the country, there's, part, there's pockets of the country where you hear that story, right? It's not just in the north. It's all over the country. You hear stories of how people haven't had power for two years, three years. For people ever, they've never had power, right? Half the country isn't connected to the um, to the national grid at all. They've never had electricity from the national grid, right? They don't care about Nepal, they don't care about up Nepal, um, because they've never had Nepal at all. They've never had PHC and nothing like that. And just to, just to showcase how bad that challenge is, Ghana, our neighbors, um, 83% of them are connected to the grid. In Nigeria, it's about 50%, right? Um, so this isn't just like, oh, we're developing... Um, country problem. This is something that uh, we're really struggling with in Nigeria. But yeah, that's a, that's the situation. It's challenging. Many of us haven't had power at all. Many haven't had power for years. And even those who have somewhat, you know, who are somewhat better off, um, as you know, our power situation is not reliable, right? We get power, um, um, we basically get power when we get it. Yeah, can you put it into context? Like, how much power are we generating? How much power should we be generating? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, right now, we generate probably about 4,000 to 5,000 megawatts 
on a good day. Um, oftentimes we fall below that due to um, challenges and constraints that I'll get into later on. But to so the question of what should we be generating, it goes back to what I said initially about how we just don't have the information to know. Right? The answer to this question is everything from I've seen some people say 180,000 megawatts. I've seen some people say, um, you know, there's this stats that you need 1,000 megawatts for every, um, I think, 1 million people. So therefore, Nigeria needs 200,000 megawatts. Like, there's, there's all sorts because we just don't have the information. But what we do know is that the challenge is not just in the generation of electricity, right? Because right now we have more capacity to generate than we actually do generate, right? So it, probably the bottleneck is not necessarily um, in the generation because no matter what you generate, um, you have to pass it through the transmission grid. And the transmission grid doesn't even get 6,000 megawatts before it collapses. It can only handle so much electricity. So the problem is definitely not the generation alone. It's not the case that if we can add, you know, 200,000 megawatts to our grid today, that would be fine. No, we, if we generate 200,000 megawatts, we can still only transmit 4,000 to 5,000 megawatts, right? So the problem is definitely not generation. Okay, so let's break around the challenges. Okay, so you have mentioned the generation, the transmission, and the distribution. What is the challenge surrounding the generation? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I think that's that's actually the right way to break it down. Um, and, and just before I start, I would just say that the common thread, like there's challenges in all three segments, but the common thread is liquidity. Like there's a lack of funding, and you'll see it as I talk about it. So in generation, for example, you know, it was, I think, in mid-April, the power situation of the country was worse than usual because many of our power plants were not getting gas. And as we know, 75% of our electricity in Nigeria comes from those gas-powered power plants. And a good number of them were not getting gas. All that means that they couldn't provide electricity to us. Um, so that, that, that's the first um, issue we have, right? You know, we, our electricity depends heavily on gas, and we haven't sorted out our, our gas infrastructure, right? There's, still, there's issues with um, breakdowns of the gas pipelines, um, there's issues in, even when the pipelines are working and transportation is good, um, gas producers are not incentivized to actually supply the gas to um, local electricity generating companies. Why? Because the amount that uh, generating companies pay for gas is fixed. Based on long-term contracts that they've signed, involve the NERC and other stakeholders in the Nigerian electricity sector. Um, but if they export the gas, they're oftentimes able to get more money than what was agreed. They're not too excited to you know, sell their gas to local Nigerian consumers, right? Ideally, the electricity generating companies can pay higher prices for gas when the global gas prices increase. But as we know, that's limited by the ability of Nigerians to actually pay for electricity. So that's, that's how funding affects generation. And you know, it also affects the ability to upgrade the pipelines because the gas pipelines keep breaking down, they keep... Uh, we keep hearing on maintenance and gas pipelines, and that's why we don't have electricity. You know, all these things cost money to do, and you know, we, we need investors to come in to do them. Um, but that's not happening currently in the space, and that's a problem that we have. Okay, so for generation, we have that even though we have obviously large gas reserves, we are not spending enough on infrastructure so we can right. transport what is needed. Exactly. And then obviously, like you mentioned, the, the producers are not incentivized to... To sell locally. They prefer to export it because that, that brings them more money. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's go into transmission. What are the challenges? Well, the challenge there, I wrote an article, some of the infrastructure that we have in our transmission line, there are things that never built in the 70s and 80s, and they haven't been upgraded. Why haven't they been upgraded? It goes back to funding. 
right? We, we just haven't, we haven't been at the point where we've been able to prioritize. Because what's happening, like I said, half the country is not covered by the grid. So there's still a focus on actually expanding the grid. And when I say the grid, I mean the transmission lines, right? So there's still a focus on doing that. And obviously, politics comes into play here. Right, because how you want to tell you know the House of Reps member from some community in I don't know Benue State whose community has not received um, electricity ever that you want to spend Nigeria's gas money to upgrade transmission infrastructure in Benin or in Wari that is working, right? Obviously, it, it crashes every now and then, but it's working. You know, the guy is like build for my community. If I use that money to build to extend the grid to my community, so there's some politics involved there, um, and that's uh, that's part of the reason why. You know, you are seeing that our transmission and infrastructure is lagging. Transmission is mostly just infrastructure. Um, and we have need to get investors um, into that space. It's something that I think further down the road the government plans to do, because right now the transmission leg is 100% owned by the government. Yeah. But yeah, that's the infrastructure is the main challenge here. Funding is the reason for that challenge. I also heard that one of the things is that we have one of the highest rates of stolen electricity. Mm-hmm. I saw that Nigeria loses about 7.5% due to stolen electricity compared to like South Africa that is 2.5%. Yeah. Why is this so rampant? Stolen electricity is definitely one problem um, we have in, in the in the transmission sector. It's a general problem we have. It's beyond transmission. Look at our oil pipelines, our gas pipelines. We're not able to properly secure these assets in the country. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. A lot of the problems that the electricity sector faces are pretty emblematic of what is going on in the entire country, right? We're not able to safeguard the electricity asset, the transmission asset, the same way we're not able to safeguard the oil pipeline. But it's a broader challenge. Like I turned an article about how we are encountering huge transmission losses, right? So a lot of electricity was being lost in transmission, which is not where they should be lost. I think the losses should be quite minimal. But it was a lot. And so they, um, they launched an investigation to figure out why. And there was a community, I think it was in Paris, where they found out that Somebody had plugged in, you know, his entire business. He was stealing electricity to power his entire laundry business from the transmission infrastructure, from, from the transformers. So it was not even getting to the discos, right? Because when it gets to the when the electricity gets to the discos, okay, discos are responsible for collecting the electricity. Any energy that falls on the disco, but it wasn't even getting to the discos on the transmission. The guy was stealing it, mm. right? And, and that was the one they found. You know, can yeah. how many more there were that um, there were that they didn't find. That's actually very interesting because I didn't make that connection. How the problems we see in the power sector is basically the same type of problem, just in a different way that we see, yeah. like maybe in the oil and gas industry as a whole, or you know, in the general challenges that we see as a country. I think that that's actually Definitely. very interesting. And then obviously the funding issues, the infrastructure issues. It's, yeah. it's actually very interesting. It's the same thing. It's the same thing everywhere. And if you look at it, you know, the, the pipeline vandalism issue in the oil and gas sector has been going on for decades. Right? Yeah. Same thing with this, with what's happening in the going on for decades. So clearly, the government's not willing or able to, to solve, right? Yeah. Okay, so now let's go, go into distribution because you've already started mm-hmm. talking about it. What are the challenges mm-hmm. surrounding distribution? Okay, I'll say the same thing again, infrastructure. Oh, wow. Um, infrastructure is a huge challenge. Um, and, and here, the reason is more interesting. So, you know, like, you know, the discos are the ones who collect our electricity bills, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they don't keep everything they collect because they have to remit some to the transmission company and they have to remit some of the money they collect to the generation companies. So, yeah. they, when it comes to collection, everything rests on the discos. If the discos do a very good job of collecting, everybody else gets their money, 
if the disco don't do a good job of collecting revenue, people suffer down the line. And that's what we're seeing in Nigeria today. Um, discos are not doing a good job of collecting revenue um, nationwide, collecting about 60% of revenue. Um, obviously, this differs some discos do better than others. The Lagos discos collect like 80% of the revenue. Um, in the north, it's much less. Pagwad disco is about 50 something percent, which is ridiculous. They're running a business where you're collecting only 50 something percent of the revenue. Yeah. Um, so, how are you going to upgrade the infrastructure you have there? Yeah. Right? If you want to use investors' money, how are you going to convince somebody to invest in a company that is not able to collect up to 60% of the revenue? Yeah. So, these are the challenges. But I also don't want to make it seem like it's just the disco's um, fault, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, Part of the reason why they are unable to collect is that some of us don't pay. Right? Uh, we look at MDAs, um, the government ministries, departments, and agencies. They are owing so much billions. Every day, a new figure comes out of how many hundreds of billions that they are owing to the discourse. The government agencies. Government agencies. Oh, wow. Government agencies. So you talk about leading by example. Government agencies are owing yeah, okay. billions. <laughs> um, and then, but even like, you know, local consumers like you and I do. Um, well, not literally like you and I, but consumers like um, are owing a lot of money to to discos, and um, that one you can you can be a little bit more sympathetic because if you don't have a meter, the disco have to charge you based on estimated billing. The problem is that that can be that can get very unfair, right? Yeah. You can use three thousand euros of electricity in a month, and the disco will come and slam you with fifty thousand euros. Are you going to pay? Probably not. They're going to argue. Okay, so now I have a question. Sure. I've seen them charge like residential places. Mm-hmm. millions of naira especially now right. with the increase right it's mm-hmm. like you know how you know well, and it's unreasonable right very unreasonable it's unreasonable but my question is okay so we've seen a lot especially in the last few years that they've said that there are no meters Right? right. So obviously, if there are no meters, you can't do the prepaid option. Right. So they keep estimating. Do you think that they just want to keep collecting more money, or they are actually unable to bring in meters? Right. Right. Um. So let's look at let's look at first of all the reason for the estimated building. Right. So there's a transformer in the commercial community. Mm-hmm. No, nobody has meters in the community. But the transformer is meter, right? They know that okay, one million naira of electricity came through this transformer this week. They don't know how it was spent. They don't know how it was allocated. They don't know maybe one house used only ten thousand naira, another house used five hundred thousand naira. They don't know. So they will just bill everybody on based on based on vibes essentially, based on what they think the house used, right? They will look. They will try to look at it and like, ah, this is the three bedroom house. They have this, this, this. Okay, give them this bill. The person may not have been in the country. That week, and to get built. Um, but somebody has to pay for the electricity that I was sent through the transformer, right? So, so that's the reason why we need, um, why why we need the prepaid meters. Um, so, so we know exactly who used what, whether it can be fair out. So you don't see ridiculous situations like residential houses getting built millions. That's ridiculous. So, to your question about um, the metering challenges we have. We've tried a number of things. Right now, we're trying the national mass metering program. I think the the minister of um, power said that, that we have, you know, given five hundred thousand meters to people in the space zero of the of the program. Um, let's hope it works. It's hard to tell exactly why they have not been working. We've been here before, um, and it didn't work out. It's hard to know why exactly it didn't work out. Um, but it benefits everybody because right now, what's happening? Even with these schools, the company itself, it benefits them. 
to have um, prepaid meters. Because yeah. if you are charging people estimated billing, they will not pay. And if yeah. you don't pay, you don't have money to run your business. Yeah, because you would think that collection rates would definitely go up. Exactly. It's, it's actually very fascinating. And I don't see how, you know, collecting one million from a house is better than increasing your collection rates to 80, 90% by providing right. meters. Exactly. No, it's definitely better for this school. But as you know, I mean, anyone who has been in Nigeria knows that corruption treasure is chaos. Right? Like, you know, you have chaos somewhere, have, have things not be clear, have things be difficult and complicated. That's where people can come in and be charging you money to simplify the process. It, it's to everyone's benefit. Let's hope that you are able to actually meet our people um, this time around. And another challenge that, that I should mention is there's a logistics challenge. With the previous uh, metering program we had, this is one where the discos were actually responsible for metering. Right? And, um, and, and for this one, the, you know, some of the discos complained of logistic challenges, right? Because not everybody lives in, you know, an urban area like Lagos. There are some customers that live in harder-to-reach areas, or areas where if you see the, if you see somebody from from um, social disco, is to get violent to be present, <laughs> right? Um, that's the country we live in, unfortunately, at this case, at this point. Um, so there, there's diff- there's difficulties in going there to actually implement meters, just for logistic reason. Um, so that's also something that's valid that we should. Understood. So you said the general problem is funding, right? right. Mm-hmm. Do you think that even if things are working properly, it would be a lucrative investment? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, hundred percent. If 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 things are working properly, um, people are getting paid on time. One, we started privatization. That's why everyone rushed to um to get. Assets without even doing proper due diligence, right? That's the, that's the problem with discos are having now. They barely did any due diligence. They just saw an opportunity and they went there, and now you know they're not enjoying themselves. But just look at the population alone, and look at the fact that each each disco basically operates in monopoly in their franchise area. Like for me now, there's only one disco I can play, so there's no competition. Yeah. So that's clearly a good opportunity for for that disco um to get good returns if things are working. But now we have situations where investors came in and you know they are being owed money. Their lenders or their own investors are not willing to put more money into the sector until we fix that issue. Funny, I spoke to a prominent energy lawyer um, last week and I asked him this question. I was like, so if you were to advise a client in the power sector to put his money somewhere, where would you tell him to put it? And his answer was like, he, he would tell his clients to hold on to his money. Like the sector is still a mess. So yeah, if, if things are working well, it's definitely lucrative. Um, sadly, things aren't working well today. Okay, so in 2013, like you mentioned, the company completed a partial privatization of the industry. Did it help? Did anything change? Did anything improve? Because one of the things we always say is the solution to a lot of the challenges in Nigeria is to say, okay, privatize it, right? These people know how to make things work. They know how to take on complex projects. They know how to put in technology to improve things. So did it help at all? That's a good question, actually. I'll answer this question with two points. Um, One, we know that, you know, a private company generally is incentivized um, to actually be efficient, more so than a company that's run by the government. Right? That, I think that's the case generally across the world. Two, for the past, you know, I think it's been eight years now, the sector has not been good. Right? You know, things have not worked out the way we dreamt. 
we don't know how things would have been if governments were still in charge. But just given my first point, the private companies at least have an incentive to strive for efficiency. Um, it makes sense that things would actually have been worse. It really is hard to imagine. It could actually have been worse with the government um, just being in charge of it. Um, so has privatization helped? We haven't seen the full benefits of privatization yet, that's clear. Um, but on the past that, the privatization also came with some agreements that were not being kept to right. That was supposed to have these um, periodic tariff increases that are in line with the macroeconomic conditions. But what then happens is that you know the price for the electricity generation generation companies, the privatized ones, the price for them to get electricity goes up, and then the government says no, you can't charge Nigerians more. All right, so that's going to hurt any investor. So we haven't really seen the full benefits of privatization yet, because of that. I think another funny thing is the fact that it's a partial privatization. So you already mentioned that the transmission is handled poorly by the government, right? And then the distribution companies, um, the private sector has like 60%. In the generating companies, the private sector has like 90%. So looking at the statistics, I found it interesting that in the eight years of the partial privatization, apparently what Nigeria can generate has increased. What they can transmit is almost the same. And then, obviously, what they can distribute. So if one area is doing better than the other, it doesn't really matter because they all need to be on the same page for the sector to actually grow. What is the point of generating so much and you can't transmit that amount? They distribute even less. It's just, it's quite a mess. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, because everyone focuses on generation, generation, generation. I saw something the other day about how government wants to wants to sell five of their generating plants. I saw it. I just saw it and looked it because I'm like, that's not the solution, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you can you can generate all you want, but you know you have to transmit a good amount of what you generate. You can't be having transnational grid failures every other month. It's ridiculous. Okay, so for the people who are actually connected to the grid one and the people who are actually paying, where are there so many outages? So I would think that, you know, from a business standpoint, I would distribute more energy to the people who are actually paying me. So why don't the people who pay and have access have 24-hour power? Right. No, that's a good question. And what, what you described as in what a rational company would do. If a transformer goes bad in, let's say, Banana Island or somewhere in Nikoi, where people pay, the speed with which the disco will fix it will not be the same as if the transformer goes bad in Lagos Island, for example, where they are not able to get payments back. Um, so, the, so that happens, right? So to the extent that the actual disco can control it, they will do what makes sense. So that, that is what happens. But the things that oftentimes um, the problem is, uh, is, is not um, the discos. Right, like I mentioned, transmission national grid fails a lot. So if the national grid fails, the disco are never getting any electricity at all to, to distribute. You know, same thing with generation like we saw in April. You know, there was there was no gas coming in. So the discos are never getting the power to distribute, regardless. But to but to us the consumer, all, all it looks like is oh the Kedar disco is not giving us power, Echo Disco is not giving us power. Um but sometimes it's out of their reach completely. Yeah. And it's oftentimes actually it's out of their reach. Oftentimes it's they're just not getting the power to distribute. Sometimes um, it's their own infrastructure that's bad. So in a nutshell, the reason why we keep having these power outages is because there are problems across the entire spectrum 
So it's not confined to just one area. So it goes back to you can't move forward unless the three sectors are moving but forward together. Moving in unison, exactly. Okay, so in your stairs article titled What If Lagos Had Its Own Electricity Grid, you analyzed the possibility of Lagos having its own electricity grid. So what was your conclusion? Is it feasible? You know, can electrification be handled on a state level? So when I, when I, um, when I wrote this article, um, I used to work with stairs business. And what we do at stairs, we write articles that, you know, that are somewhat far-fetched, like something that nobody's talking about, and then we just... You know, talk about it. I was like, hey, why don't we come, why don't we talk about this? Why don't we discuss this thing? Let's see what happens. I didn't expect anything from this article. Only to now read, I think it was last month, that Lagos wants to set up its own electricity grid. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was legit surprised. So is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Um, but it's it's very difficult for a few reasons. Number one, there are existing contracts, right? So these schools have existing agreements with the NRC, right, which is a national body, obviously. So how do you now transfer those to, to a state level? But even, even from a technical point of view, generally, like across the world, people want to have as wide a grid as possible. Not You, you want your grid to be wide. You don't want to have a state grid. You want to have a, not just a, you want to have a national grid, or even a supranational grid. You want to have a grid that spans across, that gets to Cote d'Ivoire, that gets to Mali, that gets in the all around Africa, West Africa. And the reason is that when there's a failure in one point of the grid, right? So for example, say in, if we had a Lagos grid, right, it would be mainly powered by the egg power plant. If egg mm-hmm. goes down, we're in darkness. Mm-hmm. But with the national grid now, if egg goes down, Kanji down will take over and, be, and we just increase our capacity, right? So there's that redundancy that's built into having a wide grid, like even in Europe. Um, there's currently this effort going on there to expand their grid um, to be really wide because you, I know you've heard reports of some countries generating too much electricity. I think it was in Germany or Sweden where they were paying people to use electricity because they were literally generating too much. Um, so things like that, and there are countries that are not generating enough. So if you had a super grid, a, a big grid, um, you take advantage of, of such situations. Even in America, um, there's, there's talk of expanding the grid even further and bringing Texas, is, Texas has a state on grid. They want to. Um, they want Texas to um, actually be part of the national grid for this redundancy reason. It's actually more efficient for everybody. Yeah, we saw that when Texas went went down, they were in darkness for a while. They were in darkness, right? But if they were connected to like the national grid, no problem. Texas, you know, your your windows are frozen, no problem. Um, Oklahoma will take over. Um, so so that that's actually a limitation that I spoke about with the with Lagos getting its electricity grid. Um, but there are also real benefits. Um, just because, you know, when companies want to come to an area, they're thinking of coming to the commercial capital, which is Lagos. One factor that frustrates them time after time, and they've said this, is electricity. Because Lagos is, you know, the, the hotbed of businesses, we want to make Lagos as conducive for them. And if they keep telling us electricity is a problem, electricity is a problem, it makes sense to fix that problem in Lagos. Because what happens if you get um, businesses setting up in Lagos, it has a multiplier effect on the rest of the country. Right, you start in Lagos, but then you can expand to other states. Um, so, so there's a strong argument too for Lagos, um, you know, having solid and reliable power supply. Will that come in the form of an electricity grid? Um, I don't know. Right, according to Lagos, I think the Lagos State said was the 2050 plan that they want to kick off now. Um, but I mean, it's I mean, it's interesting to know that that's on their mind, to be honest. 
Um, is it even would I advise it? No. That I mean that's generally I would advise um I would advise that we try to make the national grid, but that would be my ideal that we try to fix the national grid, we try to make the national grid work. Because um, just because of the reasons I've given. But if that's not possible, you know, like we've seen over the years, then you know Lagos states should explore the possibility of doing it on its own, if it can do it sufficiently. I actually found you very interesting. And I was thinking about it because I, I think my mentality is always if someone is pulling you back, you know, try and do it yourself, right? And right. try and make it work yourself. And if Lagos actually does it and does it right, they can be an example because you're like using a smaller sample size to make things work and then you can scale it up and actually improve the national grid. But yeah, that was my thought process. Yeah, I think that, that's what the Lagos people are thinking. They're, they're thinking, look, we're tired of this country, of the national grid, but let's do it on our own. So what do you think are the possible solutions to the power problem? What's happening to try? We cannot divorce the, the challenges we have to electricity from our national macroeconomic problem. Right? We have a problem where, you know, where productivity is low as a country, we're not able to pay for things like electricity. Right? Electricity is a global um the global commodity for in terms of the gas that we get is priced in dollars. We have to pay, you know, globally competitive rates for it. But if the country is suffering from low wage growth, low GDP per capita, um, high unemployment, it's going to make it difficult for people to be able to pay for electricity, right? And, and that's what needs to happen. People need to be able to pay, we need to get funding to the system. And because all they talk about, you know, borrowing money to fund the system, to, to fund electricity. I, that's not sustainable. Ideally, we want to be able to um, improve it, maintain it, based on the revenue that is being generated from the sector itself. The, the more our, our foreign exchange rates, the, the more unfavorable it becomes, the harder it is for players in the industry to actually get electricity. Right. So these are the broader macroeconomic that, that, that we should be thinking about fixing. Um, you, you cannot really divorce electricity from those challenges that Nigeria has. But there's some hope. Like I mentioned before, you know, it's Oftentimes, it's advantageous for the gas producers to export um, rather than sell locally. Uh, the PI bill, um, I understand, has some provisions, or it's you know one of the discussions about that is how to get the gas pricing favorable um, for the for, for Nigeria. Right now, it's favorable for like European countries and other countries that buy our gas, but what's making favorable for Nigeria? And the PI bill, the petroleum industry, I understand, has some provisions for that, um, but it's not sorted yet. If that, if that passes, that could actually be um, one solution, at least to the gas problem. Um, yeah. But the other problems are, are macroeconomic problems, unfortunately. I mean, definitely there's room for innovation. Definitely. And we are seeing it already, right? Off-grid, there's a lot of innovation happening there. In the rural parts of Nigeria, you know, we are seeing things like uh, mini-grid being set up, right? Yeah. And, you know, the locals there, able to, to, to use their phones to buy electricity units and to use it there. So there's definitely room for innovation. Um, but with all the data in the world, unfortunately, you still have to generate electricity from somewhere. You still have to transmit it from somewhere. So that's, that's the part we actually need the innovation in. To be fair, I'm not even asking for innovation. Let's get up to, you know, up to standard. For example, in transmission, there's a program we call SCADA. It's essentially a software, an application, that helps you see what's going on in the network. So if there's a fault somewhere on your transmission line, the SCADA tells you that, okay, this is where the fault is. Mm. Nigeria, we don't have SCADA. 
So if there's a fault, what do we do? There's a team that has a pickup truck that will be driving across the length of the roads to find where the fault is. Right? Before we used to have helicopters that will fly to look where the fault is. Today, in today's world, America, these are things that are done in a second. Right? You, look at the, you look at your schedule, you see where the fault is, and you send people there. Right? So I didn't want such innovation. It's just like, let's even get up to standard. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically getting the money to get solutions that are already there. And, and the thing, we, we tried scale actually a few years ago. Um, but the, the challenge of scale is that for you to be able to tell you that there's a fault in this area or with this equipment, the equipment also needs to be upgraded to be scale compliant. Mm-hmm. That was our challenge. So what that means is that, you know, the, the, those equipment that never built in the 70s and 80s, you have to actually upgrade them right, to, be, to be newer. And that's what we don't have money for. For every year that we don't upgrade these things, you know, they are becoming worse. And then that's increasing the loss that is being made. And it's not like, you know, a, a private company that you can cut your losses and say you're not doing anymore. It reminds me of like the refineries. The fact that they have employees, but they're not doing anything, but you need to pay them. And then at one point, do you just say like, do you know what? That puts money into this thing and make it better or we shut it down, but you can't shut it down. It's, it's very weird. Right. No, exactly. If our electricity sector was not so important, just to the entire country as a whole, it would probably have brought some progress. We want to sustain the industry. It's a number of government and civilian interventions to provide funding. Because like I said, no business can provide only 60% of the revenue. So this is how I always think about renewables personally, right? As the solution to our power problem. I always say that renewables should bridge the gap I don't believe in extending the national grid to all these remote places that we're talking about. I feel like renewables should go into those places and then what we currently have existing, we should try and improve it as opposed to Mm -hmm. extend it. What do you think about that? No, it's a fair point. The thing is that renewables are expensive. But for a rural community that doesn't, that doesn't use much electricity, maybe they only pump water, you know, run lights, um, maybe even have a fan, renewables work for them. But we talk about renewables a lot in Nigeria, and what we also need to realize is that we are at a stage where we're far behind. Um, so we need to develop um, ourselves quickly. And unfortunately, like, you know, the quickest way to do that is to use fossil fuels. The reason why I even think about it is that I think more people are willing to invest in renewables um, than in our national grid, you know, when you talk about yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, Generally, more people are willing to invest in off-grid, right? Whether it's off-grid with um, fossil fuels or off-grid with renewables, that um, it looks like an attractive, attractive proposition. All right, let's talk about the recent increase in electricity tariffs. Um, can you tell us, like, what the motivation for it was and whether right. it has led in any improvements in the frequency of power supply? Because right. I know there was a, a time in some places in, around Ikeja in Lagos, they had this, I, I guess it's called a premium power arrangement, that they pay a little bit of premium on how much they pay for electricity, and they get, like, 24-hour light. So when I heard about the increase in electricity tariffs, I thought that was the motivation. Ah. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen um, constant <laughs> power supply, so I was wondering what it was. <laughs> if only. Um, no, but, you know, the, so with the tariffs, like I said, you know, they are dependent on 
the macroeconomic conditions. They're dependent on things like inflation both in Nigeria and in the US because you know the, the power sector is heavily dollar priced. Yeah. Um, based on foreign exchange rates. And so when these things increase, right, like we have seen that currently today, um, there's supposed to be a, a tariff review. There's, there's an ongoing tariff review, or they want to review it, which I think will obviously end up in an increase. Because when they increased tariffs this last time in January, inflation was repaired inflation at 12.83%. Today, yeah. inflation is over 18%. 18, yeah. Right, even the US inflation rate is, has risen higher than it has in like the past three, four years. It's not 2.5%. Unfortunately, it's not only a case of, oh, let's increase the tariffs to do better. It's a case of, let's increase the tariffs so that we can actually continue paying for this electricity by giving you. Um, but what was so interesting was that the, the Minister of Power, um, Music, he tweeted that Nigerians are not going to experience a significant increase in tariffs, you know, this time around. You know, significant is, is a vague word, but we can even mean that, okay, once again, the government is not actually going to review the tariffs in line with macroeconomic conditions. They are going to either maybe one subsidize the um, tariffs for Nigerians for that, or two, they will let the players run at a run at a loss. Um, because the fact is that the macroeconomic um, conditions are have gotten worse. I completely understand that, but my issue is that we all know in Nigeria what goes up never comes down. So even if the economy becomes better, I would be shocked if the tariffs are reduced. Right. Because it means that they'll they'll get comfortable collecting that amount of money. Yeah, I mean, so the, in the electricity space, I think everyone is aware, the government is aware that it's very sensitive, right? You know, you increase tariffs for Nigerians, you better have a good reason, right? They don't want tariffs to keep increasing. So this is not a space where the private sector players are dominating and they can do what they want. I think in the unlikely scenario where macroeconomic conditions become very favorable, I think the government, NERC and Co. They would pressure these guys to reduce the tariffs. Like if, if it actually gets to that point, I think the electricity sector is one sector that the regulators are on the private sector's neck. Okay. <laughs> they will not let them get away with nonsense. Um, and we see it, right? Like to be fair, also in the oil and gas sector, with the petrol subsidy removal, right? You know, ideally what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to increase the price of the price of petrol. But the government's not letting that happen. And that's good for you know, Nigerian consumers, but it's bad for people who have invested money in the space and people who can invest in the future. So it's, it's good in the short term, but it hurts us in the long term. But another thing that I see is different with the electricity tariffs compared to the petrol price is the fact that, okay, petrol is used by more people. And what we're saying right now is that the electricity space, right, one, there are only a few people who even have access to electricity. So you are only putting burden on those people. Then the second mm-hmm. thing is some people are even getting bills and not paying. So mm-hmm. that means the people who are including paying, the including the government. So that means the people who are paying and the people who they will collect from are the private citizens that are already struggling. And especially when you do, you still have that metering issue. So the people who are just getting the bills and paying, those are the people really That's suffering. So yeah, no, I like that you said that. It's very true. Because what a lot of people do is that they don't pay. They go after the people how to steal electricity. Yeah. So I just see the electricity tariff as a burden on the people who are already doing the right thing than anything else. No, it's, it's a fair point, actually. It's a fair point. Because I always, I always say that we can't just focus on tariffs. 
we have to also focus on improving collection from those who are not paying, right? Including the government, including the government. Because, like you said, you know, people who are actually doing this thing legitimately, they are actually subsidizing for um, a lot of people lack of compliance. All right, last question. Do you think that Nigerians will have more frequent power, you know, just compared to our neighbors, you know, South Africa, Ghana, Kenya? Do you think it's in our future or it's one of these things that we keep putting target days that we never meet? Hmm. Well, I think it definitely, you know, just judging by history, it definitely falls into the latter category. In 2017, we had this power sector plan. It was a beautiful plan. It was supposed to turn the sector around. The plan was that by 2021, we'll see significant improvements in power. Right. And it was good, you know, World Bank backed it, everybody was on board. Obviously, we're in 2021 now, but I'm not seeing the improvements. So, we've been here before. Now, there's, there's also a drive to meet our people and to upgrade our infrastructure, especially in transmission. Foreign organizations have put money in there. So there's a reason to be optimistic. If you kind of forget the fact that we've been here before, we've had this hope before and it's been that. <laughs> um, I mean, I hope things change in the future. There's, there are things going on currently that should, if everything goes well, um, mean that we have better parts of life. But that if is a big year. Let, let's wait and see. There's, there's, there's reason to be optimistic, but there's also reason to, to be pessimistic because we've been here before. And the challenge is that in the meantime, companies are leaving Nigeria because of this power challenge. I hope we fix it soon enough so that we essentially stop the bleeding. We cannot run businesses, you know, depending on generators. And something I even find funny is that, you know, what's happening now is that private people, right, if you're going to give me a bill of one million naira, I'm going to get solar panels and use that placement of national grid electricity. And I, we see more of that happening. Have you noticed? What I see is people complimenting you know, the national grid power with solar. But at this stage that solar is today, it's not going to be able to power your entire house. I mean, you live in like a reasonably sophisticated house with ACs and yeah. televisions and all that. Um, you need a lot of solar panels to actually make that work. So you know, it's, it's probably going to be as a compliment. I think that's a good thing. Um, it, it's, happening, it's happening in other countries, it's happening in the state. You know, there were entire communities that in Texas that were good when the power went out because you know they already put solar panels, they already had you know they were already using this renewable form of energy. Uh, so I think if Nigeria gets to that point, it's good. It's good. Nobody it has been been great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oil & Gas Conversations. Let us know your thoughts and the topics you would like us to talk about. As always, don't forget to share and subscribe. <laughs>